This is a convergent weekend for us at Cathedral. The Word of God, the presence of God, and a woman of God who's about to bring that Word of God from the heart of the Father God is going to dramatically impact your life. This is going to be a day you're going to mark down and say, that's the day God did something in my life. I've already heard this word twice, and it's strong, and it's powerful. We have an incredible, incredible gift today. It's a special weekend for Cathedral. Pastor Ken's down at Gilroy. It's their third anniversary. They're dedicating their brand new building. At this very moment, Pastor Ken's down there speaking to that flock and blessing that building and blessing that flock. Next week, he's going to be back bringing great expectations to us. But this weekend, January 20th, there's a convergence of the power of God for your life. We have an incredible guest. Bianca is a pastor, a church planter, an author. She designs a whole product line. In fact, I want to encourage you, 50% hood, 50% holy. She's also got another t-shirt that says, all I need is Jesus and tacos. Come on, all of our Spanish brothers and sisters. She's got caps, she's got hats, she's got books, she's got all kinds of resources, but most of all, the power of the Holy Spirit is on this woman. And she's about to bring the word of the Lord to us. Join me in welcoming Bianca Oldhoff as she comes to minister. Thank you so much, Good morning, church. Oh, no, 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 no. Before you sit down, I'm going to need someone to talk back to me and fill God's house with some words today. Good morning, church. Oh, y'all could be seated. Thank you so much. Listen, before we get started, I know that Pastor Ken and Pastor Kern are in this service, but I just need to honor them whether they are here or not. Uh, yesterday was my first time ever preaching in San Jose, and it was here at Cathedral of Faith. Amen. What an honor. But when you're new to the house, you don't want to be like extra. I don't want to be extra. I'll be like low maintenance. But all of a sudden, I had like a tickle in my throat, and I just, why are you laughing? I am extra. It's okay. Like guacamole, worth it, okay? And uh, I got a tickle in my throat, and, and, and Pastor Ken says, hey, are you okay? Do you need anything? And I was about to text my daughter, my teen, like, hey, Charles, can you give me some water? And as I did that, Pastor Ken says, let me get you water. The senior pastor of this house stood to his feet, walked in the back, grabbed a bottle of water, and came back and gave it to me. You know, these small, insignificant acts show the humility of your pastor. And as he brought me a bottle of water, he brings y'all living water every week. And Kurt, too, can we just give them a moment? Just thank them for the years of serving under dad and now them taking the helm of the church. Wow, y'all are in a great, great church. My name is Bianca Wattis Oltoff. I hail from SoCal, Orange County, born and raised in LA, hood girl for life. Hey, there you go. One, one real Christian in the house. Thank you very much. And, uh, and uh, as in being Mexican, that's half Mexican, half Puerto Rican, it basically just means that I cannot show up on time anywhere. Uh, I love to party, and I popped out of the womb with high heels and fake eyelashes. Uh, God has a funny sense of humor, though, because I married a man of German descent. And you know, the Germans, they're very serious, very organized on the time and everything. And I tell my husband, like, babe, are you excited? Yes, I'm very excited. This is my excited face, you know? And... Um, 
he really doesn't have an accent, but in my head, that's the way he sounds. <laughs> God has a funny sense of humor because uh, he's like white and salty like a chip and I'm fiery like a salsa, but together we go together. Come on, that's like a match made in heaven. And we just embarked on launching a church. We uh, are four months old. It feels like we birthed a baby. And if you have any family members out in Orange County, Anaheim, or down the street from Disneyland, come to the happiest place on earth, the Father's House OC, all right? If you guys are ever in the area, you have a seat at the Father's House. And the reason why inviting is such a big value for me is because I grew up uh, feeling overlooked, feeling unwanted or uninvited, feeling like I didn't have a space or a place. I am a first-generation American. I was raised in the hood, and as I like to say, we were po, like so poor we couldn't afford the O-R, you know, like that po. And I couldn't read, write, or spell at the age of 12. I was illiterate uh, and obese. I weighed more than my father at the age of 12, and I just never felt like I was chosen or seen. And that changed one day going into Sunday school in fifth grade, and I had a Sunday school teacher by the name of Mr. Charles. Mr. Charles was an African-American man from the South with skin as dark as chocolate and an accent as thick as molasses and a voice as sweet as sweet tea. And he was the very first person that made the Bible come alive to me. The way that he spoke about God's word, it was like my Bible was like scratch and sniff, like the characters became alive. And I remember him talking about God's chosen children. The Israelites, God, the Hebrew people, they, God chose them out of all the people groups in the world. And there was something about what he spoke about, their exile out of slavery and into freedom. And the promised land, a land that was promised to their daddy's 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 daddy. And there was something about the way that he spoke about this people group that I wanted to be chosen. So I began to pray some big prayers. Please, God, please, God, make me a Jew. And then I realized it doesn't work like that. <laughs> so I began to pray other prayers. I said... Please, God, please, God, let me marry a Jew so my children will be chosen. And uh, I, once my theology reconciled, I realized that you can't pray yourself to be a Jew. And I realized that as a Gentile, I'm a wild olive branch grafted into the family of God. He has chosen me and seen me. He, he, he before the foundations of the world, he, he saw me and loved me. And I was so excited about that. But you know what? Do not discount the prayers that you pray uh, in your childhood because you never know how God's going to show up. My husband and I were doing ministry work in, uh, in London. I was speaking at a conference. He was speaking at a church. And we touched down at Heathrow International Airport, and I turned on my phone. Uh, there was an influx of text messages and emails that were coming in, and a text message was from my mom. And she had texted me and my siblings and said, hey, I submitted my DNA for Ancestry.com. I was like, oh, this is so fun, and I'm reading through the results. My mom is the Puerto Rican one, so there's the tried and true, like Spanish, Iberian, like, okay, predominantly that. But then I found out she was 16% Sudanese. What up, Wakanda? Ah! Very proud, very proud. And then I saw that she was 15% British, and I'm like, hello, governor, I'm in the motherland, you know, the sport of tea with the queen. And, and, and then, and then if that wasn't enough, my eyes fell on the most glorious information I had ever read in my life. My mother was 1% Jew. I was so excited. I turned to my husband who's at the baggage carousel and I said, Baruch Hashem Adonai. I'm not speaking in tongues, I'm speaking Hebrew because I'm a Jew. I'm Jew-ish, half a percent Jew. You're welcome. <laughs> Tell me my God won't do it. Tell me my God won't do it. 
Don't discount your prayers because you never know how God's going to show up. And because I am a legitimate Jew, I want to talk to you about one of my family members. <laughs> Wisest man in the known sacred and secular world by the name of Solomon, King Solomon. And because he's my family, I'm going to encourage you to hear a little bit about my history. So pull out your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 24, and pull out your notebook because I want you to jot some notes down. And let's go ahead and open up God's word with a word of prayer. God, we come before you. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We give you all honor and glory. I pray that you go before my words and may they land on ears that can hear and eyes that can see and a heart that knows that you are in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs 24, 16 says this, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. And for those, oh, I like this side, this is the holy side, the talk back side, come on, thank you, Jesus, hello, take me to Zion. Y'all are going to get the extra blessing, okay? I'm going to read that again for those that were pulling out your notebooks or just not paying attention. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. What do you do when you have fallen? What do you do when you feel like you have been Punch down. What do you do when you feel like you have been dragged down or a total TKO, total knockout? I, I want to know as we go through the wise words of Solomon how we respond. And so just so that you know where you're going, I want you to turn to your neighbor, look at them in the eye, make it awkward, and say, get back up. Now turn to the other neighbor who you conveniently ignored and tell them, get back up. Yes, get back up. That's the title of today's message. And this message was birthed out of 2018. 2018 was one of the hardest years of my life. Um, you know, I, 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 I tried explaining this to uh, my husband, and the only way that I could articulate it is I said, baby, I feel like I have been pummeled. I feel like my ears have been punched so hard. I've been deafened to hearing the whisper of the Holy Spirit. I feel like I'm in a holy concussion. I feel like I have licked the floor of hell. And in those moments, maybe you feel me. Our situations may be different, but maybe you've launched into a business endeavor. Maybe you had a baby. Maybe you've had some hard conversations with a coworker, volunteers, or loved one that has caused a sever in the relationship. Maybe you've lost friends. Maybe you've buried loved ones. Maybe you've dealt with sick family members, mentally, emotionally, psychologically. Maybe, Jesus take the wheel, you've dealt with raising teenagers. <laughs> Maybe you've been trying to get that six pack or that thigh gap and you've had to say no to carbs. Maybe that was your year of trial and tribulation. But I want you to take all of those things and that was my 2018. It was a very hard year, and I remember talking to my husband, and I said, baby, I feel like I'm in the ninth round, and I feel like I have, I, I'm on the mat, and his response was ever so optimistic and cheery and annoying. He said, you know those, those very Christian people that are like so filled with the Spirit of God, and you just want to wallow around in your misery, and they're like, God loves you. I'm like, shut up, and, uh, and he said, but be you like Rocky Balboa. You got back up. 
and I realized the poignancy and the weight of his words. See, I wasn't born when the Rocky Empire started, but as a kid, uh, my dad would talk to me about the movies Rocky, and, and as I got older, he allowed me to see Rocky and the powerful story, the powerful narrative of overcoming. And, and here's one thing that you need to know about me. One, if you've never seen Rocky, I question your salvation, okay? And number two, I don't think we can be friends. But to make sure that we're all on the same page, whether you've seen Rocky or not, let me just kind of bring you up to speed on the Rocky Empire. There's Rocky 1, Rocky 2, Rocky 3, Rocky 4, which is the best Rocky ever. There's Rocky 5, then there's Rocky Balboa, which is technically Rocky 6, are you with me? Then there's a second empire with Creed, and most recently, Creed 2. Now to give you some context, in Rocky 2, Rocky goes up against Apollo Creed. Uh, Apollo Creed beats him. In Rocky III, they become best friends, besties for the resties, and they go up against each other, and Rocky beats him. But in Rocky IV, there is a Russian on the, the scene by the name of Ivan Drago, and Ivan Drago will break you, okay? Like, that's Ivan Drago. Well, he goes against Apollo Creed in an exhibition fight. Apollo Creed takes a bad hit to the head, and he dies. So, to avenge his death, Rocky goes up against Ivan Drago. What we don't know then is that Apollo Creed had a wandering eye and had an illicit relationship that produced a baby by the name of Adonis Creed. Not too long ago, Creed II came out towards the end of 2018, and by myself on a Thursday afternoon after work, I went to go see Creed II. And as I sat in the movie theater watching the scene, I remember feeling the same feeling that I watched that I felt watching Rocky IV. I looked at Rocky on the mat, and I was cheering for him. Get up, get up, get up. And when he did, it was this victorious feeling that I felt. When I watched Creed II, I looked at that and I realized this is not about boxing. This is about life. It's about real life. And it might even be about your life. Because we're all going to fall down, we're all going to fail, we're all going to falter, but you can't stay down. You must get up. And the fact is that if you're here today, you are proving to the world, to the devil, and yourself that you got back up. You might be watching online right now from the comfort of your bed, but you tuned in. You got back up. And in order for us to, 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 to get back up, we must acknowledge where we are in the fight. Proverbs 24, again, though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. I'm going to go through this verse quickly for all the note takers. The word for fall, though the righteous fall, is the Hebrew word not for a male, uh, excuse me, not for a moral failing, not for a moral incident, but for trial and tribulation and trauma. Though the righteous fall. Well, I love that King Solomon put the word righteous in here. See, because the righteous will fall and get back up. But the ratchet, they have a different story. And some people in here are like, what is ratchet? That's the wicked, okay? That's basically what it is. It's hood vernacular for wicked. The righteous will fall and get back up, but the ratchet, nope, not so much. How do we know this? Proverbs 24, 32, the wicked are overthrown by calamity. They on the floor saying, I'm falling and I can't get up. That's the ratchet, that's the wicked. But the righteous, mm, it's a different story. And how many times does it say that the righteous fall? Seven, Bible scholars. Yes, see, you're already theologians. For those taking note, in biblical numerology, the number seven is the number for completion, wholeness, perfection. Oh, huh. 
So why is Solomon saying, though the righteous fall seven times? Now, we have all fallen more than seven times. It's a number to indicate that even in completeness, even in perfection, we will have trial and tribulation, but you must get back up. Are you with me? Say amen. When trial and tribulation come, you must, one, know your enemy. For Eve, in the Garden of Eden, her enemy was the serpent. For David, going up against uh, the Philistine army, it was Goliath. For Samson, going up against the Philistines, it was the Philistines. If you're going to go into the fight, you have to know who your enemy is. Because if you don't know who your enemy is, you will not know how to beat them. I have participated in some uh, recreational boxing, and these are 12 ounces that go underneath boxing gloves. And here's the thing. There is a scene in the movie, in Creed 1, where Rocky pulls Adonis Creed in front of a mirror. And he has them, he has him look in front of the mirror and say, who do you see standing, staring back at you? Adonis is a little bit confused, saying, I see myself. And Rocky turns to him and says, your greatest opponent is not in the ring. Your greatest opponent is the one that's staring back at you. Right. Here's the truth. Our natural inclination as humans is to blame and shame other people. It's my mom. It's my dad. It's my kids. It's my boss. It's the devil. You know, we always have reasons and excuses for people that we want to blame and shame. But let me tell you something. It's not the person you're married to. It's not the dad or mom who left you. It's not your kids. It's not your boss. It's not your neighbor. It's not the devil. No, it's not external. It's not the dream that has escaped you. It's not the person who has harmed you. Guess what? It might be you. And it might be all the things that you are allowing. You are allowing yourself to believe about yourself. How Rocky explained this to Adonis is he said, every time that you take a punch, what is happening? And Adonis says, there's a punch coming back at me. That's powerful. That's powerful. And I want us to hold on to this because every time that we try to take ground against the enemy, we have to be mindful that there is an attack against our own self. Every time I try to overtake a negative thought, every time I try to dismantle a lie, every time that I try to take ground against the enemy, there's an enemy that I can't see unless I'm staring back at myself. Every time that I try to mentally convince myself not to believe a lie or a temptation, I find myself fighting and warring against myself. My mind goes down roads it's not intended to go. In fact, I know that we aren't alone in this. Maybe you empathize with me, but there was one by the name of Paul the Apostle, and he wrote a letter to the Romans. And in Romans chapter 7, he said, the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. Whoa, what a wretched man I am. And I'm like, I feel you, brother. I feel you. Because I don't want to eat bread, but my sinful man loves it. Bread of life, okay? No, no. The things I want to do, I don't want to do. As someone who participates in recreational boxing, I have on and off for a number of years, the two most important things about boxing for you to understand is your stance and your guard. If I am flat-footed and my arms are down, you will come at me and take me out. But if I stagger my stance and I'm on my toes, I'm quick, I'm nimble, I fight like a butterfly, sting like a bee, you know, that sort of thing, and I put my guard up, it's a different fight. It's a different fight. Where are you standing? Are you on guard? Are you ready for the blows of the enemy? Are you ready to handle the assault and self-sabotage of your own mind? 
Mm-mm, it's different. So in, in addition to our stance, we also have to put our guard up. Put your guard up. This is what is referred to as your W. This is your W right here. I remember W for win because I want to win. All I do is win. I want to put my guard up, okay? Why do you put your guard up? To protect my moneymaker. No, no, wrong answer. (laughs) Wrong answer. You put your guard up to protect the most important zone, your head, your eyes, and your ears. If you're taking note, I want you to put down A, Protect your head. Why? Because Proverbs 23, 7 says this. As someone thinks within himself, so he is. What is in your head? Think about what you're thinking about. Are you lying to yourself? Are you pulling yourself down? Would you speak to your kids the way that you speak to yourself? What are the lies that we are constantly whispering over our head? See, here's the thing. In those moments where we say, I'm a failure, I'm stupid, I'm fat, I'm dumb, I'm rejected, I'm ignored. No, 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 no. Hold up, wait a minute. Think about Philippians 4, 8. Whatever thing is good, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is excellent, think about such things. Think about what you're thinking about. B, protect your eyes. Protect your eyes. If you take a blow to the eye and get a black eye, you won't be able to see. If you take a, 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 a punch to your upper eyelid and you split your eyelid, blood will enable you from seeing. What happens? If you can't see, you can't fight and you can't move forward. You're playing defense instead of offense. You won't be able to progress. Why is this important? Proverbs 4.25, write it down, go study it, commit it to memory, get a tattoo on your forearm like a hipster. This is what it says. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. You need your eyes. And lastly, C, to protect your ears. If you take a hit to the ear, you could pop your eardrum. You could almost have a holy concussion where you can't even hear the voice of your coach in your corner telling you what to do. Proverbs 19.20 says this, listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end, you will be counted among the wise. Number two, know your defense. So as Rocky is explaining to Adonis the battle within, he's telling him, he said, when you are are here and you know that there's a punch coming your way, you know that there's an assault on you, you need to be quick. You need to learn how to dip, slip, or drop out the way. See, what was he telling him? He was telling him to build a defense system. What are your defense tactics? What are you telling yourself? How do you block a lie that's waging in your mind? How do you slip against the voice of the enemy? How do you get out the way of things that are not of God? See, it's been said that winning is 90% mental and 10% physical. This is why some of the most talented athletes and CEOs and executives will fail time and time again. They have all the resources, all the education, all the good looks. They have all their teeth and two eyebrows. Like, they have all going on. And that was a joke, guys, for unibrows. Okay, you'll get it later, San Jose. Praise God. See, they had all the resources, but they didn't have the mental fortitude and strength to go to battle. See, Rocky and Adonis were less than in height, less than in structure, and less than in training, and yet they overcame because they were mentally strong. Sometimes you will fight against an actual problem, an addiction or person, a lawsuit, but most often than not, these difficult challenges will happen in our mind. And when you come to accept that fights have less to do with anything else, it's more to do with the battle inside than the battle outside. When you look in the mirror and you see the 
person staring back at you? How do you block the shots? How do you turn down the emotions that begin to armbar you and struggle you into submission? Who do you turn to? What do you put on? I love what Solomon tells us in Proverbs 13, 6. Righteousness guards the person of integrity. What is integrity? Integrity is doing right when no one else is watching. I heard a fight uh, against uh, Joe Frazier, and he was a champion, lightweight champion back in the 70s. And in doing an interview, he said, most people think that the battle won is the one with the big lights and the big ring and lots of people. But the battlers won waking up every single day and training in fights that no one ever sees. And I feel like that's the same for us. Every day that we get up, every day that we say, devil, you're a liar, no devil, no, not today. Every time that we take authority in Jesus' name, every time we open up God's word, it's a mirror to our own life. We take authority in the name of Jesus, and we have revelation. I'm a woman of integrity. I'm a man of integrity. I will do in private what no one wants to do in public. This is how you will get back up. This is important. Absolutely important because people are going to have the haters, the haters, all the haters are so loud. And the haters can even live in your head. The haters are going to be like, why did God use her to do that? Why did God tell him to go there? Why did they get that upgrade? Why did they get that favor? Why did they get that house? Why did they get that job? Maybe because after the battles that they've gone through, they stood back up. Maybe because they're in the word of God and God is speaking to them. Maybe they are doing things in private that you won't even be able to do. So you look at their public life and think, well, why them? question I ask is, why not you, man and woman of integrity? See, me in and of myself, I'm not a righteous person. My daughter is here and she will attest, I am not a righteous person. But the word of God tells me that God has given me a robe of righteousness. And because of a robe of righteousness, I'm choosing to live a life of integrity. Proverbs 24, 16, though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. In many ways, this is how our fights are going to be won by simply getting back up. And it's easy, we could think, you know, oh, one day I'm gonna have a fairy godmother and they're gonna bippity boppity boo and everything's gonna be fine and my addiction's gonna be gone and my self-loathing will stop and my kids will be perfect. But here's the thing, it ain't gonna happen. And we keep on waiting, oh, that one moment, that one day, I'm gonna come in church and pastor's gonna pray for me. It's not gonna happen like that. And my fear is, that we love coming to church for the feeling. We love coming and singing the songs. There's this one song Brooke Frazier sings by Hillsong. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am, who the sun sets free. We like to sing about it. We like to think about it. We like to write about it. We even like to preach about it. But until we believe it, we're never going to have the authority and integrity to stand back up. I am a child of God who the sun set free is free indeed. I'm going to speak to myself with love. I'm going to speak to myself with the truth of God's word. We have got to start believing this or else we will not act like this and we will not get back up. This message is not a boxing movie. This message is for a different kind of fight, a universal fight, a fight that I fight, a fight that you fight, and a fight that we fight, a fight that takes place in front of the mirror every single day. The reason why this is important is because there is a world that is looking at you and you and you and seeing if you believe what you say that you do. Right. And we see when Rocky takes down Drago in Rocky IV, we were filled with this belief that if Rocky could do it, so could we. There's a generation behind us that is looking at you and saying, will they get back up? Will they believe 
what they say that they believe, or will it be all for naught? There are creeds in our wake that we don't even know about, that we might not even be blood-related to, and they're going to be asking, hey, how do you fight? But more importantly, how do you win? And this will be your legacy. Your legacy isn't about you winning your battle, because you will fail and falter. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, Eve partook of the fruit, and she failed, but she became the mother of humanity. And David, King David, fought with Bathsheba, but he became one of the greatest kings. And Samson, Samson was tore from the floor up. He even had a prostitute in Delilah. She's a hot mess express. But guess what? He tore down the temple with the Philistines in it. And Rocky beat Ivan Drago and went on to train Adonis Creed. This was their legacy. Legacy matters. And the Bible is full of genealogies, written family trees, to chronicle the origins of our foundations of our faith, the ancestors of our faith. And we could easily skip over them as Hebrew phone books, so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so had so-and-so and oh, it's so boring. But no, I want us to not ignore the importance of our spiritual heritage, our spiritual legacy. When we talk about legacy, I don't want you to think of like Webster's Merriam Dictionary. You know, you bequeath the will, a home, an inheritance to a child. I'm talking about biblical legacy. And this includes what we give to the next generation, the art that you create, the financial freedom that you establish, the children that you raise, the classroom that you impact, the, the, the financial freedom that you're giving to the next generation, the music that you compose, the poems that you write, the houses that you clean, the children that you raise, the marriage that you fight for, with every sacrifice, with every battle won, with every foot placed forward, this will affect the next generation. It's a ripple effect of our legacy, whether we want it to or not. The question isn't, will I have a legacy? The question is, will you have a good one or a bad one? And, and, and legacy isn't leaving a mansion and a trust fund to a baby. Legacy could be as simple and as world-changing as gracefully loving and honoring the least of these. It can be simple, everyday acts of obedience, ordinary acts in the hands of an extraordinary God that we don't even see the fruit of until years later. But part of the problem with our postmodern society is this fascination with present, this fascination with now, this fascination with me, myself, and I, and Instagram famous, and YouTube famous, and views, and downloads, and watch, and followers, and fans, and friends. Bump that trash. Your legacy will be found. Your purpose, dare I say, will be found in giving your life away. Back that up with scripture, Bianca. Oh, I will. See, Jesus gave his life away. And Paul the Apostle gave his life away. And Queen Esther gave her life away. And they found a new sense of purpose. Jesus hung on a cross on Calvary and said, To tell us die, it is finished. He was buried in a tomb and resurrected. He got back up. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Queen Esther goes down before King Artaxerxes. And he says, rise, and she gets back up. Paul the apostle, going to church to church, he is dragged out of the city. He is shouted out, thrown on the floor, and stoned. Not like stone, but like stoned, okay? They had a rock concert of a different kind. They left him to die. They said he's dead, and guess what he did? He got back up and walked to another city to preach the gospel. Listen, I'm tired of excuses. Get yourself up. If you ain't dead, you ain't done. There is a fight yet to be had. The question I have is, will you get back up? Will you put your boxing gloves on and say, no devil, not today. Come at me, bro. Come at me. You come at me with sword, but I come at you in the name of Jesus Christ. Get back up.
the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, I commend you and command with humility of Jesus, get back up. Don't let the enemy take you out. Maybe you're here. I'm going to call the prayer team forward. Maybe you're here today and you were like, but I don't got Paulie in my corner and Rocky ain't my coach. I have no one. I have nothing. Guess what? You've got Jesus Christ in your corner. The God of heaven and earth is in your corner. And he is saying something that is radical. You are tired. You're in the ninth round. You're in the eighth round. You're exhausted. And he's saying, I will fight for you. I will fight for you. You don't have to fight for yourself. Not I'm your coach. I'm your defender. Let me back this up. Isaiah 41 says this. Who can snatch the plunder of war from the hands of the warrior? Who can demand that a tyrant let his captives go? I will, says the Lord, for I will fight for those who fight you. God is your defender. So today, maybe you're here and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Or maybe you have a long time ago and you have just totally stepped away from the things of God. Today is your opportunity to get right with God, to get tight with God. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. And here in this moment, maybe you've never come to church. Maybe you lost a bet and you were dragged here. Maybe you were still hungover from last night, but you found yourself in the house of God. Guess what? We are so excited you're here because the Spirit of God is beckoning you to get back up. And so here in this moment, I'm just going to ask something brave and bold. Are you ready to fight? Not in your strength, but in the strength of Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, or maybe you have and you've walked away, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus today, here in this house. I'm going to count to three, and when I count to three, what you are declaring is number one, Jesus Christ is your Savior that you would choose today. Number two, to be filled with the power of His presence and His Spirit. And three, to declare that your sin has been removed. So one, two, three. If that's you, will you raise your hand? God bless you. 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 God bless you guys. God bless you. God bless you. There's hands all over. I just, God is blessing this house. I am declaring and decreeing that the enemy has no authority over your life, that you will choose this day whom you serve, and it is Jesus Christ. What I want us to do right now is I want us to pray a prayer of faith together. Maybe you pray every day, I love it, amen. Maybe Jesus Christ is our Lord of your life, amen. But I want to reaffirm that declaration and pray with our brothers and sisters who are choosing Jesus today. So can we fill God's house with his words? Can we all say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse my heart, cleanse my mind, cleanse my soul. Fill me with your spirit to do what you've called me to do. Today I choose you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Yes, can we say thank you to those who made the best decision of their life. It has been my honor to serve you today. In Christ we have victory. In Christ we are more than conquerors. In Christ we are victorious. So leave today, child of God, knowing that you got back up. Amen. What a powerful, truthful, 
biblically based word of the Lord to us. Get back up. You know, that just wasn't something that she cleverly decided to speak to us. This is what she's lived. How many of us know that the message of our life comes out of those moments of being knocked down? The message of our life comes from our hardest moments, but the word of the Lord is about to be strong in you because of what you've walked through. And everything you see in this word, there's this sense of honoring the word of the Lord. And I want us to do that right now by speaking blessing on our sister. She is a forerunner that the Lord allowed to go through some stuff. And she has, she has blessed us with truth, but I believe we're supposed to bless her right now. So I'm just going to ask you to reach your hands toward Bianca right now. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, we thank you that as she has declared, the truth will set us free. And as she has faithfully declared the truth, we know it to be so because your word is true and because she has walked that out. You know what she's walked through. You know where she's been beat down. You know where she's been hit. You know where she's struggled. And I just pray, Lord, you would continue to strengthen her, uphold her, bring around her women and men of God who will intercede on her behalf. Bring around her men and women of God who will stand alongside her to fight with her. Bring alongside her the word of the Lord in strength that she and her husband would go victoriously into this next season. That they would know the word of the Lord. They would hear with their ears what you, their divine coach, would say to them. Strengthen them. Strengthen their family. Strengthen their kids. Strengthen their spiritual kids. Strengthen them in this season as they launch this new baby of a church there in OC. Bless them abundantly. Let them see your favor. Make them a target of your favor in a way like never before. Encourage them. Strengthen them. Build them up. We thank you that she's poured herself out before you and for us. And we just ask that you pour your spirit into her in unprecedented ways. We bless her in Jesus' name. Let's again say thanks to Bianca for her ministry. Well, something, something has knocked you down. But I think we've heard the word of the Lord today. Get up off of that thing. It's time to receive the word and get back up.